and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of the leading branding firm Siegel & Gale. From April to August 2020, I interviewed 50 CMOs from around the world as host of the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding event series. Although it pains me not to break bread in person, we've uncovered invaluable insights and memorable human stories during this virtual season. In many ways, this podcast provides an exclusive oral history of how brands and CMOs live in the COVID-19 era. From the decisions facing CMOs during this time to the commitments they are forging for the uncharted road ahead, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections on our discussion. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to Siegel and Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every fortnight, we meet five leading CMOs to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Molloy, Global CMO of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design, and experience firm. Now, it's reputed that when Harold Macmillan, Britain's Prime Minister in 1957, was asked, what is most likely to blow our governments off course. He replied, events, dear boy, events. No doubt the COVID-19 induced pandemic is the defining event of our time. On a personal level, we are all touched by its colossal human toll. On a business level, it has upended even the most rigorously formed plans. Our conversations with marketing leaders have transitioned from how brands are responding to the crisis to how they are resetting to propel business continuity and in many cases, transformation. In today's Future of Branding episode, we meet five CMOs to hear how they are leading their brands to reset their businesses. Let's now meet our panel. I'll introduce each panel in turn and invite the panelists to provide their one word on what's top of mind for their brand at this moment. Delighted to be joined by Linda. Good afternoon. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Purpose. Fantastic. Amy Martin-Ziggin, Vice President of Global Brand Marketing at Hilton, joining us from Delaware. Amy. Hello, and thank you for having me. Rising. Rising. Dawa Hilarious, heads brand, product strategy, marketing and comms for Europe, China, Japan and the ASEAN region at Meritor, joining from his boat in Tuscany. Dawa, we won't be envious. What's your word? Innovation. Innovation? Yes. Stephanie Buscemi is the CMO of Salesforce and as ever is joining from San Francisco. Good morning, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. Relevance, it's all about relevance right now. And finally, Mayor Gupta was the recent CMO at Freshly and he's joining from Chicago. 
top of mind mayor trust margaret it's uh what will stand up for me trust relevance innovation purpose and more okay so now let's meet each cmo in turn and spend a few minutes understanding the role of brand in your reset linda ga remarkable company on so many levels the digital industrial company is how i always think of you your response to covid quite remarkable from ventilators to collaborations around facial shields what stands out for you in terms of the brand response to covid let's anchor in that margaret thank you it's wonderful to be here and it's wonderful to be here with such um esteemed guests i chose the word purpose deliberately on march 11th ironically the same day that uh COVID was just uh, declared a pandemic. GE announced a new brand purpose statement and leadership behaviors. The irony of that is not lost because we announced this with the thought that we would bring it to life, of course, internally, but then we would during the um, Summer Olympics in Tokyo, which would have been taking place just about now, bring this to life externally. And I have to say, um, the time that we are in requires incredible agility, incredible ability to pivot. So for our brand, um, we have never stopped working. We're in essential work, energy, healthcare. You mentioned ventilators. We make ventilators. We quadruple the production of ventilators in this time. Aviation and industry hit incredibly hard incredibly hard make jet engines so for us brand these days really does go back to our purpose this idea of we rise to the challenge to build a world that works and every day we have people showing up at our factories and doing it as safely as possible and that's been a, a big watchword for us is how to keep our employees safe both on the factory floor and and obviously white collar and i um a lot of the efforts have been, frankly, in support of and celebration of those folks that are working. Um, we have, for instance, um, placed local billboards, digital billboards, yards away from the entry to a lot of our plants to celebrate our employees, to heroize them, um, to just say thank you. You know, so it's been a time where while we launched our purpose internally, not externally, at least not yet, I mean, couldn't have been better because it has really been a time for us as we've kind of navigated and are continuing, obviously, to navigate through COVID. The times that we're in, COVID and social currents, et cetera, and I think the words that my uh, fellow panelists use are, are all right, are a time that... Um, uh, the folks inside the company are in many ways our first and most important ambassadors. And that's who I wake up every day thinking about when I think about our brand. And as you so beautifully articulated, building a world that works, what, what a fantastic brand purpose. Now, as we think about the second half of 2020, how are you thinking about your budgets and resources? Any shifts that are meaningful there? Yes. Um, look, we have, as a marketer, as I just indicated, not done a great deal externally. Our focus has been internal, which basically means that we've kind of saved our budget. We are 
cautiously looking at the fall. I think these um, the collective moments that are around sports. I think we saw this a bit when Hamilton was released by Disney over Fourth of July, and and despite the brilliance of Hamilton being the calling card, I think it was also this moment where everybody was to some degree seeing and participating in something together. Um, with the return, knock on wood, of sports, live sports in the fall, I think those collective moments where people come together to watch and experience something are the places that we are kind of looking at as we think about um, messaging, messaging to our customers and investors, employees, et cetera, where we are looking to be out there again externally. You know, we have largely leaned into digital, I don't know, for a decade now. So there's nothing new there. And again, those connection points, be it LinkedIn or other other places, Twitter, et cetera, we're seeing tremendous engagement there. But we will put some toes, maybe a whole foot in the water in the in the fall. And I think by then, um, I hope the timing and context will feel right. And Linda, as you think about business reset, what in your view is the role of brand in that process? Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're defining business reset right now at GE. We're in the midst of quite a transformation, a portfolio transformation, the way we work using more lean management, a number of new leaders. So, you know, transformation is kind of our middle name these days. And to me, brand and and when, you know, I think about our brands, it's to find the relevant ways to bring that to life. Now, it may be translating that right. It may not be exactly word for word that we're going to, you know, operate with greater execution or strengthen our businesses and liquidity. But it's finding the ways that we can translate that to our various audiences in ways that they can um, attach to and adhere to. I, I mentioned before building a world that works, you know, for us, you know, that's a bit age old. The words may be fresh, but the idea of bringing healthcare to remote places, bringing energy to empowering a third of the world, bringing people up in the air and, and safely down again, particularly as travel hopefully gets back to to business over time. Those are the things that we're in business to do. And it's a great way to express our brand in terms of the impact that we have on the world through jet engines and wind turbines and MRI and CT machines. So they're really closely linked. I think I might just riff on for one second is it's doing it in a way that's very relatable and human versus talking about, you know, um, the products themselves. And, and that's obviously always been key to us is making that human connection. Very interesting, and particularly for a B2B company, of course. Wonderful. Thank you, Linda. Let's now go straight to travel. Let's now have a conversation with Amy at Hilton. So Amy, clearly, as we were talking about in the pre-conversation, an industry that's been ravaged by this pandemic. Talk to us. Tell us what's top of mind. And indeed, among your many responses, what response to COVID-19 have you been most proud of? 
Yes, it's been a very difficult time in our industry and, and Linda referenced it in getting back to travel and we certainly hope um, that we'll be able to do that soon. Um, but in the in the sort of meantime, I chose rising as my word. Um, and Linda, you, you said it well, it's about it's in your purpose. It's about rising to the challenge that the pandemic has created for us in the travel industry and for Hilton in particular. And, and doing that by uh, keeping our promises, um, really kind of rising to deliver on our promise, what we call our promise, which is a purpose um, to our customers, to our owners, to our team members as well, who've been very hard hit, uh, just as the other our other constituents have, and to communities, because each of our hotels plays a role in a community. And when they're closed, that's jobs that are, are not happening and, and services that aren't required. So it's really for us about continuing to deliver on the promise of our brand to those four um, customer groups and doing it successfully in a way that enables us all to, to rise and come out of this successfully. And I think, you know, the thing that, that I've been most proud of, and I think a lot of us at Hilton are most proud of, is the way that we've shown up in the world during this time. Um, I'm really proud of, of the fact that we made donations of rooms working with American Express, our great partner, to first responders um, who needed it the most. We have um, worked with um, great charities to donate meals, again, to first responders. And we've been leaders in trying to build programs that will create safety for those who do need to travel. And as travel gets back on its feet, we'll create, um, we'll create safety with our, our cleanliness programs like Clean Stay. Um, with Lysol protection. So things like that, that, we, that we've put um, meat behind, put thought behind, um, listen to our, our customers and our owners and our communities to develop. And that has really um, been something that I think we, we believe is, is helping us to really stand behind our promise, which is all about unlocking the potential of travel and spreading the warmth and light of hospitality. You're housing a different kind of guest. During, Absolutely. During, Absolutely. Mm, that's quite remarkable. It's also, it seems implicit in your overview that you're trying to inspire confidence in travelers. I'm intrigued by this notion of emphasizing cleanliness, something that in the past, maybe that was an operational facet of a hotel. Talk to us about that shift in emphasis. Yes, it's a, it's a fascinating one because cleanliness has always been important in travel and in hotels. And in fact, we we in the industry have already used, always used hospital and commercial grade cleaners. But what we found is that customers, exactly as you said, needed to have confidence and to see the cleaning and the evidence of cleaning in order to feel that they could trust that it was safe for them to stay, whether they were a first responder who was worried about potentially taking something back to their family or someone who had to be on the road, potentially delivering things, you know, you know, crossing countries and and regions to deliver things um, that people needed in their homes during this time. So cleanliness is something that customers told us they wanted to come to the forefront um, where it used to sort of play a, a supporting role. Um, they wanted to hear about it. They wanted to see it. And that's actually one of the important things that we're looking at in building our um, reset is really how do we build trust and confidence across many different facets? One of the things that um, we're looking to do as well is, is create partnerships that make sense. Our partnership with uh, Reckitt Benkheiser, um, the maker of Lysol and Detol, was really has really been critical to us because 
consumers told us they really trust those products. They use them in their homes to keep uh, their, their families safe and their loved ones safe. So we very purposefully, you know, went to them, partnered with them, have come out with a, a program that we created in partnership with them, with their knowledge, their science, their products. And that has really, um, we're hearing back from, from um, consumers and customers, but that's really giving them that extra level of trust and confidence that makes them happy to take a chance and, and travel again if they have to. And we think that's going to be something that's going to be important um, for some time to come. Amy, you have a variety of properties across your portfolio, from perhaps a little more on the economy side to their premium properties. What role is brand playing in this reset and how are you leaning into brand, particularly across the portfolio? Yes, it's a, it's a great question. There are 18 brands now <laughs> that we have across Hilton. Um, and so there are, there's sort of a brand for everyone, we like to think, um, depending on what your, your mindset is, um, you know, based on our sort of um, segmentation research and, and also based on obviously what your, your need is, is for the travel occasion. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, before we would have create we create very bespoke programs brand by brand, right? The the breakfast you'd get at a Waldorf is very different from the breakfast you get at a Hampton um, versus a Doubletree, for instance. Um, they're all quite unique based on what those customers are looking for and what that brand's uh, value proposition is. But uh, but now we we are looking at some things that that run across brands because um, you know things like our clean stay program because we know that actually expectations in that space. It are less defined by you specific to your um, potentially your, your travel mindset and more so about that uh, having that trust and confidence. Um, so we're sort of thinking about brand in different ways. How can we use brand to ensure that, you know, you have trust in the Hilton name and what that sort of stamp brings to the table to you as you're staying in one of our many um, different trading brands? Or um, if it's something more specific to that individual brand, then how do we make sure we're delivering on your expectations there? A good example of that is, is Hampton, which um, has a beloved um, buffet breakfast. For the Hampton fans out there, you'll know all about that and the amazing waffles and, and eggs and other things. Unfortunately, in this time, buffet breakfast is not something that is viable for safety reasons, as well as um, lots of other reasons. So. You know, we're looking at what are the things that customers will sort of understand and give us sort of credit for taking away because there is an understanding that, you know, things can't go on as they were necessarily, which is interesting because that's not always something that, that consumers will sort of give to a brand, right? But right now they understand safety implications and they also understand cost to operate things like hotels and restaurants. So we're, we're working really to understand what are the insights about what they really need and expect from us. Um, on an individual brand level that so we can deliver on those in a way that is viable and relevant to them for the future. Well, I look forward to getting back using my Hilton Honors membership and uh, racking up some more points. So thank you for that, Amy. Let's now head over to Dawa, to Tuscany, and to a very different business model. Your company, Automotive Supplies, component manufacturer across the globe. Talk to us about very briefly, if you will, the impact of COVID on your global business. COVID has influenced ours as the whole automotive industry um, very much. Uh, we have had issues. We had to close plants uh, for, for a period uh, in all regions, uh, one after the other, because 
course, the, the COVID started out in China, we had to close there, and then we moved to Europe and then uh, to the US. We are now op open and running again. So that, that's very good. And I, I chose innovation for, for two reasons. One is um, the reason that we are changing uh, the way we communicate within the company, between ourselves. People are, for most part, still at home and working from home. So um, it is a, a different way of communicating. We, and we need to, to help people connect where before uh, you could uh, meet people um, just down the corridor in the office. Today, that's not possible anymore. So we need to find a way to, to create that connection. And there, uh, I think, uh, embroidery brand comes in to, to play, to, to support that and, and to, to uh, connect people again uh, within the company. Innovation also on the other side is that the automotive industry is innovating. It's changing very rapidly, actually, uh, especially uh, on, on also on the commercial vehicle sector where we are uh, playing. Uh, electrification is a, a very important uh, point in, in the future. And what we continue to do also during the COVID and the coronavirus uh, situation is continue to innovate, to continue to work on uh, our development of new products because we have very long lead times in general in, um, in our company. Before something comes to market, two to three years uh, before actually the user can, can use the product. Now, uh, we cannot sit down and wait for a couple of months and then pick it up again. So we continue to, to push our innovation also through the, the coronavirus period. And similar to the question I asked of Linda, how are you thinking about your business plan and the brand and marketing resource allocation for the second half of 2020, acknowledging that yours is a very relationship-oriented, long-term contract kind of business? So connect again to innovation is the fact that we need to innovate also the way we communicate to our customers. The customer experience we usually do is through face-to-face um, -face meetings, uh, going to shows, presenting uh, our products where you can touch and feel them, and that's not possible anymore. We cannot go to the customer anymore. A lot of customers uh, actually don't allow uh, suppliers to come in into their, their plans. So what we do is we, we had to transform very quickly to a much more digital uh, presentation and focus on the quality of that presentation, where before, if you have a face-to-face, meeting the presentation itself the digital presentation itself is is not the most important part the person is the most important part and now that has become that, that digital presentation has become the most important part of any presentation to customers and, and we really need to create a a digital customer experience uh, which is an innovation also for us and our of those changes in habits during this COVID period, how much of it do you anticipate sticking? Or do you see a model where your customers will go back to that traditional in-person enterprise sale, if you will? Mix, we will see what happens. It really depends on, on, on how fast and if the coronavirus crisis uh, subsides. If it continues and it goes up and down, of course, the digital process will be will continue to be very important for us it needs to be a mix of both because of the type of products we we do you will need to have 
uh, that, that physical contact. But we can create that physical contact in different ways. We not necessarily need to be in the room to be able to present a physical element uh, which uh, can be sent through and, 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 and received by, by the customer and looked at. So I think that's... that's um, that makes makes a lot of sense. It's really fascinating to see the innovation on both the B2C and indeed B2B businesses. Thank you for sharing that, Dawa. Let's now go to San Francisco, another renowned B2B company, and chat with Stephanie around Salesforce and your immense response to COVID-19. What, what would you like to highlight, Stephanie? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, in the challenge of my career, and I'm sure many uh, CMOs and marketers around the world across industry, you know, the first thing, uh, you know, I, I use the word relevance because when we sort of came together and took stock, the first thing we did, obviously, was look after our employees. I mean, that, that was job one was, I kind of use the word stabilize to kind of bring everyone together and, and make sure uh, our employees, our partners, our families okay and and then once we sort of stabilized we said well what is our role in this what, what can we do for our customers and i think it came right back to brand and brand values i mean your values and your brand if correctly they're inextricably linked and we went back to our values because they always have guided our decision making and here was going to be no exception to it and when we went and, and said, how do we want to ensure we continue to drive trust with our customer? That's one of our core values. How do we want to make sure that we serve, continue to serve the equality of all as a core value? How do we want to make sure throughout this time we lead with innovation and ensure that our customers can be successful, whatever success looks like in this current environment? Um, and what happened was we looked at everything and we said a lot of things became irrelevant really fast. And uh, I just really have encouraged the team to make empathy and relevance top of mind. So whether it was the way our sales teams interact or our marketing teams or our finance team on billing, we all had to take a step back and take stock and say, what is the best way to be relevant right now to our customers' needs and be empathetic to what is going on? And from a marketing perspective, I literally, it was like three buckets. It was, let's audit everything we're doing. And there was a whole bunch of things that it, it was like, that would be tone deaf right now to, to be out talking about that. Um, and, and that's not appropriate right now. And and that's really having your values elevate and persist. I mean, we're a publicly traded company like everyone else here. We want to drive growth, but we're playing the long game here. We do not want to drive growth at the expense of our customers' happiness, their trust in us, their long-term growth. And that meant saying what's going to be most helpful. So it, it went far beyond marketing. I'll give you an example. Who knew in January when we were writing our goals for the year that we would actually, in six weeks, build a contact tracing app and that over 30 uh, pardon me, states right now are already using that contact tracing app? 
I think most people don't think of Salesforce for contact tracing. Who knew we would build an employee response management application, a shift management application? That's what our customers said. We spent the first 30 days understanding what our customers needed the most from technology and automation to help them through. And we pivoted super fast. I think Linda said it, speed matters right now. We pivot our, our engineers, our product managers, our marketers, our sales teams, and came out on the other side and said, here's what we have for you to help you right here, right now, to be relevant now and help you manage through this right now. We also had to check ourselves in terms of the business model around that. We have redone terms with customers. We provided Salesforce cares in the first 90 days. And by the way, that wasn't just to our customers. That was to any business out there. And Salesforce care was, it is a basic set of CRM tools to help manage the contact and engagement with your customers that we gave free to people for 90 days to have them. Um, so it's interesting, Stephanie, CRM for contact tracing. <laughs> yes. How, how fantastic is that in terms of finding your core competency and applying it to a real need swiftly in context? Uh, quite a remarkable story, no doubt. But you did touch on the practicality of your growth imperatives. And last time I checked, that's how you're compensated and, and all of us here to varying degrees and our teams. And I recognize there is that tension between our economic reality and our clients' practical realities as well. How are you thinking about the second half of the year? And in particular, knowing that those large conferences may not be the option that they always were so pivotal in your business model and in your marketing. Uh, I'll get to the specific of the mix that we will do to continue to try to drive growth. <clears throat> but I feel very privileged because our CEO has said so many times, business is a platform for change. And now more than ever, that matters. And so I'm working in an organization that is playing the long game. We are not going to make our decisions based on one or two quarters that, or three or four for that matter. And so we've always said doing well means doing good. So we are going to continue to take investments and focus on how can we help people get masks, which we've done. How can we help our customers manage through this? The way that impacts the marketing mix on the back half of the year is it means creating relevant forums for our customers to get skills, to get best practices, to get ways to effectively manage their business through this. So right now we talk about who knew everyone could service from home. We have tons of customers who had huge call centers around the globe and nobody would have ever thought that they could take thousands, of, thousands and thousands of call center employees and make them productive out of their home. And they are with our service cloud. And so everything we're doing right now is to help them be successful. Who knew that all the salespeople would sell from home, that we would all market from home? So we're taking and we're saying, how, what is our core competency? How do you sell from home? How do you service from home? How do you market from home? And we're imparting that on our customers. The ways that we're doing that 
like everyone else. We were a, a very heavy, a driven live events company. You might know something called Dreamforce. We were supposed to have it in November and, and, and take over San Francisco. We will have a virtual uh, event. No spoiler alert. It will be very exciting, and, but it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And so uh, we have pivoted to virtual. I would say I have learned more about virtual and digital engagement in the last 100 days because I think in the immediate term, many of us went to virtual, but it was truly a retrofit. It was a retrofit of a live event and it felt like it. <laughs> and I feel like every week, week over week, we get smarter about ways to make connection with people uh, digitally. Uh, and so we, we will continue to invest in that. And I, and I think the most meaningful way to do that, I, I am a student of all the virtual events out there, not just my own and watch them. And the reality is we're humans. We need human connectedness and emotions and stories. Storytelling is, resonates. And so I am moving away from less of us presenting at our customers and creating much more informal, shorter, snackable, I call it, consumable forums for each other to share stories because we get business learnings. We figure out how, who's, how each other are optimizing their marketing mix, but we also get to hear the human emotion of it. Like what was challenging? What is hard? How are you holding up on that? And I think that, that fuels us as much as the business practice. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing how you reinterpret uh, Dreamforce and definitely appreciate your point that the, as distinct from taking our events digitally, coming to a recommendation around being digital native in a virtual context and how we effectively are natives in the environment versus immigrants to a new country, if you will. <laughs> Fantastic. I think we're all learning and hopefully progressing in that journey. So waiting patiently, Mayor, Freshly, what's top of mind at Freshly or indeed the growth companies? Because I know you advise many growth companies. Thanks, Margaret. And, and this has been fascinating. I think uh, it's a benefit that I'm coming last because I could really learn from all the incredible uh, thought leaders that, quite honestly, I've looked up to for many years. But uh, I'm glad you clarified, Margaret, because the anomaly of companies like Freshly and many others are two or three things. One, uh, they are venture-backed. Um, they are likely not public yet. Um, and um, and they're also direct-to-consumer. And digital is not a word that's typically used, you know, when I was at Spotify or at Freshly or some of the other companies where I advise. The reason why that matters, and there's this uh, chat I was trying to pick Linda's brain, she's a legend, is that the difference that happens there is that while we all have a purpose and a mission, but you, because of the impetus on growth, and this growth at all cost mindset in the last 12 to 13 years since 2007 with iPhone and social platforms, Oftentimes, we are all playing the short game to Stephanie's point, which is very, very important. Are you ready to play the short game versus the long game? And in the last 13 to 14 years with the venture-backed money and 
marketing having indexed for the most part, not for the big brands, but for the most part, marketing having indexed from a very purpose-driven effort where brand reflects the soul to now over-indexed on very lower funnel, in fact, fear-based, discount-driven marketing that all, you know, where CAC is the live and die. Um, that is a very different world. And I feel what COVID has done uh, very successfully, this is one of those blessings in disguise from a very unfortunate event that has happened across the globe, is it has, um, it has pushed marketing back to its basics. It, it moved that um, growth at all cost mindset to finally go back to building trust, to finally listening to the customer, to be authentic and be brave. And for a moment, don't think about, don't worry about doing another discount, try to sell, because that is not what people were looking for, you know, especially when things uh, broke free at, you know, in March and April. So even for those extremely growth different brands, it finally allowed us, and I, I will use the word allowed us to, to be authentic, to say, it's okay, I'm going to do something that finally stands up for who I really am, who my brand really is, what my soul is, my purpose. Because in the absence of that, we have not been able to connect purpose with growth. Purpose and business have been isolated. So let's take a moment and for our listeners, CAC, customer acquisition cost, the, the holy grail of the growth sector. How do you see the impatient investor interpreting your analyses that there is an imperative to go toward brand building and trust given that tension with the maniacal focus on customer acquisition costs help us think through where the investor mindset is and how a cmo can get reconciliation with that yes that's a great question and um and it's a challenge that we are all living every single day. And it's the right challenge. If I'm an investor, my focus perhaps rightly is on that return. My focus, because if it's a venture, uh, they're looking for hockey stick growth. That's what ventures are for. I think the ball squarely is in the CMO or the marketing's court to prove, not with philosophy, but with tangible data, that why playing that long game, like Stephanie said, why, um, to Linda's point, when you invest in purpose, when you have a business in response to the purpose and the mission, it actually does impact the business in driving sustainable growth. And one click down, because the venture world understands data and traction. So you now prove that with lifetime value. You prove that when your marketing is more empathetic and more genuine, especially for younger generations today, especially for the Gen Zs, the younger millennials, who ask the question why before they ask how much. Right? It matters to them way more than it ever mattered. So you cannot prove with your data that when you are authentic, you know, your engagement rates are higher, your CAC gradually decreases, your LTV goes up. So I think the ball is back in our court. We're not with just passion and philosophy, address that with data and pure quantitative proof points on why ultimately sustainable growth is at the intersection of purpose, brand, and growth. It's not isolated. 
And it sounds to me that lifetime value is your metric to bring clarity to that conversation and bring a fact base to it. On good days, yes. On bad days, no. On bad days, we all like to look at what is short term and lifetime value. Yes, you cannot predict a lifetime value, but I can tell you when you're running the end of the quarter and the numbers are running short, um, you tend to go back unless you have a business that stands up for the values. I think I'll keep quoting. I think that Stephanie mentioned, you don't define the direction of your business based on one quarter or two quarters. That's why I look up to brands like GE and Salesforce and many, many others who know that this is a phase, right? And I differentiate businesses uh, in two archetypes, businesses that are running a business to serve a mission and a purpose, and some that may perhaps have a mission and a purpose to serve the business. And fascinating distinctions there, Mayor. Thank you for that. So let's let's go around to the virtual table again, starting with you, Linda. And I'd love for you to answer two questions, just for fun. In the context of this conversation, how do you define brand? And part two, what is your commitment to making sure brand plays the role you believe is appropriate for the reset. Uh, sorry, I was trying to get off mute at the same time you were taking me off mute. I am so captivated by what Mayor said that it's just spinning in my mind right now. I thought there were so many wonderful points that he and everybody else made. How do I define brand? I was lucky enough early in the pandemic to be on a weekend call with Indra Nui that she did with some marketers. I you were on it as well. And I'm going to quote her here because I thought this was so elegant. She said to those of us on the phone as marketers that brand is the soul of a company. And I, I think there is a lot to that, right? It is the, the beating heart, the, the DNA, the thing that is true in times of good, in times of bad. I agree fully with Stephanie. It's it is um, not about a quarter or a year, but it's something that has longevity to it, and it's a promise, right? It's a promise to our employees, and it's a promise to our customers that we will uphold what our brand is about. So, so those are a couple of thoughts when when you ask me about it. And Linda, what's your commitment to keeping that promise? <laughs> You know, we are in such a challenging time. I think it is doing before saying, making sure that the words are really inherently matching the actions. At GE, you know, people count on us. I said that before, they count on us you know, not nine to five, not Monday through Friday, but this is an all-in kind of effort um, because we're involved in, in industries that are essential. And I think the commitment is that of um, the promise we keep to the people we to, and that's customers. Ultimately, there, there is a promise we've made to investors as well. It's not off the table. I agree in the long game, but you know, we, we, we have an obligation there. We have an obligation to our employees. And I think that 
you know, if you can kind of keep in mind, Margaret, your North Star at the same time you're doing what you've promised you'll do, you're able, I think, to marry the reality of your commitments with kind of the hope and the promise of the brand. The, the mistake to me is when companies and organizations try to create a brand that isn't steeped in in who they are and what their business is about. You know, that's the, that to me is where you eventually can run into real trouble. It, it's got to, to, you know. It's all about that authentic notion, isn't it? It is, I think. Absolutely. And from the authenticity of a global B2B company to hospitality again, Amy, different context, same question. How do you define brand today and your commitment to making sure that definition continues to come to life at Hilton? Yes, it's well, it's it's both a blessing and a curse to follow Linda. She says it so eloquently and so well um, that I can I can draft off of some of her amazing remarks. I think, you know, your idea about brand being being the soul, a reflection of the soul of a company and a promise, um, I think is very much true, especially now. Um, I think, you know, um, thinking about it almost as the brand being a North Star, because it is how you show up in the world and it is how how your customers and your um, constituents, investors, owners, in our case of hotels, how, how they think about you. And that reflects back onto the brand as well, doesn't it? So, um, you know, and, and right now, you know, what we saw through the pandemic as well is that customers are looking to brands to be leaders you know, not to bring politics into the conversation, but I think in some cases, if, if you know, there's a void um, of leadership potentially in, 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 a, in a space, then, you know, brands have stepped up and have filled that void. And that, that's a really important and somewhat weighty, uh, you know, uh, something to, to kind of bring forward into the world and, and it's to look after, uh, for us to look after it. So I think it's, it's that that idea of it of it being a reflection and a north star. And in terms of the commitment to how do we how do we ensure brand is at the heart of what we do, especially given all what um, what I just said and what Linda said, I think it's about really you know as marketers um, kind of protecting and continuing to be the voice of the customer. I think Stephanie also said that really well. Um, you know they really went on what it sounded like a listening tour. And that helped to, to provide them that sort of path forward, that, that runway. It, it did the same thing for us, and it will continue to do that for us as we listen to um, our, our most important um, constituents and stakeholders. So I think, you know, continuing to bring that voice forward, those insights, um, those, those important sort of um, the things that are most important and relevant to customers will help keep brand at the center of everything we do and deliver on our promise. So now, from your vantage, how would you brand? And how does your commitment to making that definition come to life in an automobile components company with a global footprint? First of all, I think that um, what, what Amy and Linda uh, pointed out is, is totally correct. And I support that totally. The, the, the brand factor in a components company is, is like, Different. There's also different ways of, of communicating with with our final customers. But I think that 
um, we need to continue to support our customers in any way. And, and that's the brand promise and delivering on that brand promise. And even, even during uh, the coronavirus period, I think that um, we had an essential part in that as well because we uh, make transport possible. Uh, without an axle, you will not be able to drive the car. So um, that uh, be, being there for them and supporting uh, those communities in those areas that, that use our products in every way possible, I think is, is part of the brand promise has been very important and, and will continue to be important in the future. Thank you for that, Dawa. So Stephanie, from Salesforce's perspective and indeed your personal perspective, how would you define brand? I think I said it before, but brand and values are inextricably linked and uh, Linda hinted to it as well, which is your brand promise is your commitment and you delivering on the, the values of your company. And so it has to be backed with action from the smallest decisions and actions to the biggest ones your company makes. I, not to complain, but I, I, I can reflect on, you know, there's been times where we've had lots of discussion out in the world about compliance uh, or privacy. And I watched a tech industry where lots of marketers washed all of their communications with the words trust. Mm -hmm. And it was so frustrating because I looked at that and I thought, well, first of all, anytime someone says you can trust me, I don't know about you, but I find it creepy. Like trust is earned. Uh, you, you don't need to tell me that. Uh, but I thought that is so dangerous because it has to be backed by action, what Linda was saying. It has to be less talked about it and said versus in the actions and what you do as a company. And so I think it's an interesting role as a, as a head of marketing and a CMO because I look at it and I'm like, it's such a privilege, but it goes beyond the four walls of marketing. Your company actually has to live those values you can't just be talking about that as the brand. It has to be shown through action. And I'll give you one other uh, example of it. You know, there's been with all the social injustices, I think there's a lot of companies standing up and talking about equality. And I want to believe that everybody wants equality for all. But I would say companies need to be talking less about it and speaking to action and like when i talk to the team about it i said we can talk about equality but for every sentence we bring that up i want it to be married in action i want us to speak to a program that we're doing a thing that we are doing to make positive change just i'll, I'll close on this but I, I think it was amy who is was speaking to this you know when there's a void of leadership elsewhere in the, in the world, believe it at that. Business can be the greatest platform for change. Our CEO says that, and I believe that deeply. And all of us have an opportunity to show how you can live your values and do programs and things that help make positive change. So I, I think brand and values are so deeply connected and you can't just do it in, in, in marketing campaigns or tags. You have to do it through actions. Yes, indeed. Thank you for calling out deeds to support the words 
Stephanie. And finally, Mayor, very concisely, if you can, definition of brand and commitment to maintaining the connection between the words and the deeds. Uh, thanks, Margaret. As an engineer, I will not attempt to define brand, uh, but I will agree with everything everyone said, especially Linda's comment that brand is your soul. The one thing I will say that brand is an outcome. It is not an input. You know, it is, it is not your logo. It's not a strategy. Uh, it is, it, 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 these are not your colors or the big tentpole campaign. Uh, two, that uh, marketing does not own the brand. Marketing happens to be the orchestrator of their brand. Every single person, every single function in an organization owns the brand. If they don't, then it's a facade. And the last thing I will say is that in that growth world, unfortunately, brand has become a stigma. And uh, if you use the word brand in many organizations, you have to be fearful because you will be slated as somebody who doesn't understand the business or is only here to spend money as a cost center. And my personal mission is to prove is, um, you know, that, that authentic brands you know, that have a purpose, that are empathetic and brave, do drive business growth, that these are inseparable. Thank you. Thank you all for that. So in thanking our panel, as ever, I'd like to offer my reflections on our conversation. One of my abiding premises is that to reset organizations, we must reset our thinking. In listening to our panel, I've identified useful mental models that appear to support these CMOs as they interpret COVID-19 and ultimately transform their brands and organizations. To everyone in the audience, I invite you to use the chat or tweet me at Margaret Malloy with the mindset shift that resonated most with you. I frame now a number of shifts that leaped out at me. From pause to portal, this crisis is not provoking a temporary interruption that must be survived to return to life pre-pandemic. Instead, it's opening the door to a new future, to begin again, to forge new relationships and unlock new ambitions, now with a longer-term orientation. From breakdown to breakthrough, we have a once-in-a-generation opportunity to recast the role our brands play in people's lives. This reality presents a commensurate opening to engender real trust and relevance. From tribe to community, COVID-19 is uncovering the possibility for a brand to behave as an engaged, empathetic citizen in the broader community. Buoyed by an authentic brand purpose, brands need to take into account the community in a very intentional way that goes way beyond CSR to public-private partnerships and more. 
a shift from extraneous to essential. COVID-19 has stripped away old marketing and indeed innovation models, paradigms, and budgets to reveal what truly matters. This sharper focus on impact unleashes dramatic clarity from monuments to movements. This pandemic has affirmed that brand building is no longer about words and pictures. It's about deeds. It's about experiences. As brands' success now is a function of the storytelling it creates to inspire people and the summation of all the interactions people have with the brand along the entire journey from discovery to product and service consumption to advocacy, from co-workers, constituents, customers, collaborators, clients, investors, to people. Humanity is at the core of our brands and our roles as leaders. As we all consider pressing the business reset button and the role of brand in that endeavor, I admire our five CMOs here today for your humility to seek and share wisdom, your raw courage to crusade for change, your catalytic leadership to inspire transformation, and your operating finesse to cultivate alignment across your organizations and across resources. Thank you, Linda, Amy, Dawa, Stephanie, and Mayor. We at Siegel and & Gale and this global marketing community are very grateful to you for sharing your experiences. And we look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments shared today. To everyone in the audience, thank you for your tweets. As we prepare for season two, tweet me your brand questions, your topics, or indeed your CMO nominations. As ever, thanks to my production team led by Alison Carrion and Ashley Noonan. On behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale, please know that across the physical distance that separates us, we remain committed to sustaining the value and joy of brand building that connects this community. Please let us know when we can help you with your brand and business reset. I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you for joining us. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.